going to start out with a text from Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that you may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. Here ends the reading of God's word. Across two simple lines, the most basic of shapes, Having kids, it was one of the first shapes they started to make. Intersecting lines. In fact, earliest cultures that archaeologists have studied all have some kind of cross or X symbol. Most languages have some kind of cross or X in their letters. This symbol comes out of the Romans who really made an expertise out of crucifixion. It was really a very brutal thing. The word doesn't mean necessarily the shape of a cross like this. It actually just means anyone who is lifted up so that they primarily suffocate to death. So that could be done on a T-shaped cross. It could simply be done on a pole or even hanging from a tree. Um, It could even be done by impaling. And the Romans were very good at it. They could make crucifixions last for a long time. It was a, it was a particularly painful kind of death. And it was a death that the Romans used. For people who were really against the Romans. They used it against traitors. And people who would rebel against them. So it was often done in very public places. Often done on the road into uh, a town. And uh, often left there. The, the bodies were often left there for days. Often it was done naked. It was, we have a hymn that calls it an emblem of suffering and shame. But that doesn't even begin to really describe how terrible crucifixions were. It was used only for traitors and the most terrible criminals. It's also the word we get the word crux from. And the word excruciating was developed out of this word for cross. For this kind of death. Could take a long time or it could be sped up. If they broke your legs, often you would have trouble lifting up your chest to breathe anymore. Now think about this. This is a terrible symbol. An emblem of suffering and shame and then some. But look around our sanctuary right now. I mean, there's a giant cross at the the front here. Crosses on several of our banners and on the the Christian flag. Crosses here. Crosses on our lights. Crosses in our windows. 
Some of us wear cross necklaces. In fact, our entire sanctuary is supposed to be designed after a cross, uh, although the bathrooms in the Westminster room sort of tweak this. But if you look at your half of the room, it's the long part of the cross. And then very often in sanctuaries, they would have seating off to the sides for the sides of the cross. And then worship and communion would happen out of the front of the cross. We're literally in a building partially designed after a cross. Imagine if someone from the first century walked in here. Okay, Somebody who lived during Jesus' time walked in here. They would think that we are total freaks. That we would have this symbol everywhere. Because they had seen crucifixions. Everybody had seen a crucifixion at least once in their life. And if you lived in a big city, you saw it multiple times a year. It'd be like having a giant electric chair in the front of our sanctuary. Or wearing a hangman's noose around our neck. Or in your house, probably you have a cross somewhere in your house. It'd be like having a, a, a picture of a gas chamber on the wall. Or singing a song about in the firing squad of Christ I glory. I mean, let's try to pretend like we, we've never seen all these crosses. The more than 40 crosses I counted in this sanctuary. But especially with these lights that have crosses on them. Over 40 crosses. Let's pretend that we've never seen those. And let's just think for a second about that symbol. How did such a terrible symbol become such a powerful symbol? How did it become, I mean, you think about the Red Cross, an originally Christian organization, where the cross has literally become a symbol of comfort and hope, the exact opposite of an emblem of suffering and shame. Why has this cross changed? Well, some of it really comes back to who was on the cross. I mean, you have to think that, right? There have been countless numbers of crucifixion over the years. In fact, there are still parts of the world where crucifixion are still used for the worst criminals. But on this particular cross was Jesus, claimed by his followers to be fully God and fully human. Willingly, he went to that cross and defeated it. He rose from that grave. And what did he do on that cross? He took our sin. He took our place. So that we, according to Paul, should be boasting in the cross of Christ. Not in our own good works, but in that good work that Christ did on our behalf. Listen to what the medieval monk Thomas Akempis said about the cross. This is just powerful. In the cross is salvation. In the cross is life. In the cross is protection against our enemies. In the cross is infusion of heavenly sweetness. In the cross is strength of mind. In the cross is joy of spirit. In the cross is excellence of virtue. In the cross is perfection of holiness. There is no salvation of the soul nor hope of eternal life save in the cross. This powerful, powerful symbol Go ahead and spike, click to the next slide. And the cross has been expressed so many different ways over the centuries to think through the way it's been a symbol. You might be surprised to know that as powerful as the symbol of the cross was, it was actually not very used 
by the, the earliest of Christians. I mean, if you think about it, the earliest of Christians had seen crucifixions. It was for them still this gruesome look, this gruesome view. And so the early church tended to use uh, symbols like fish. Uh, they tended to use other kinds of symbols. It wasn't until a little bit later that the cross started to come to the forefront. And you see it starting to develop in Paul's writings. But it, rather than talking about the cross, most often Paul talks about the crucified Christ. Which is always important for us to remember. That the cross doesn't save us. But Jesus, by going to the cross, does. And yet it is such a symbol for us. Constantine, the emperor of the, of the Roman Empire, uh, finally stopped crucifixions as he became a Christian and the nation really became Christian in the 300s. And so it was really then that the symbol of the cross was becoming this strong symbol of the Christians and the Romans stopped doing it. Uh, again, it continues to this day. And it was primarily because of the Christian missionaries that it started in Asia. Asia had never really done crucifixion until they heard missionaries talk about it and some of their rulers said, hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. No, it wasn't until it really broke free that, that, uh, and it wasn't being done in the Roman Empire anymore that it started to become even more important. And so in, in artwork, it became just emphasized over and over and over again, particularly in the Crusades where it became a symbol of trying to go back and rescue Israel. And so there were certainly some not nice things done under the banner of this cross. But it has become an important symbol nonetheless. Let me talk about a couple of these symbols. Uh, normally, if Jesus is on the cross, it's called a crucifix. And that's, that's more the term for it. So in the upper left, where you see Jesus on the cross, that would be called a crucifix. If Jesus is off the cross, it's also a powerful symbol, right? I mean, it's powerful to see Jesus sitting there, or, or, or dying there, to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. But there's something, too, about an empty cross that we're reminded that Jesus didn't stay there. That he didn't stay there. He, he actually defeated that cross and was resurrected. Sometimes you'll see letters on the cross. Sometimes a cross will say IHS, which most people think it means in his steps, which is not what it means at all. Uh, what it actually is is the first three letters of the name Jesus. And so sometimes you'll see that inscribed on a cross. Or sometimes there'll be a little plaque towards the top of the cross that says INRI. And that is the Latin for the words that were on Jesus' cross according to um, uh, the Bible, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Um, Jesus, Nazareth, King, Jews. That's the three letters that it sort of inscribes. Um, the uh, sort of plus sign here next to the crucifix, that is a Greek cross where it was equal length. Sometimes it gets a little wider, but generally there it's more like a plus sign. And we get the red cross off of this symbol. Very often you would get halos. You can see uh, what these two crosses in the middle both have this sort of halo effect. That comes out of art. And in, in art, one of the ways that artists for, for long periods of time, but particularly uh, medieval and enlightenment uh, artists, would paint halos around holy figures. And so sometimes you catch in the cross this sort of halo effect. Um, so sometimes that's called the wheel of glory. And nobody really knows why it was called that, but artists would call it that. 
This X down here is Jaden and I were, were working on, on uh, uh, finishing the PowerPoint when I was at Panera Bread. Jaden said, that's an X, that's not a cross. Um, but actually, some people would have been crucified on an X shape like that. It, uh, it's easier to stand up. Um, just practically, it's easier to crucify on an X than on a T. Um, but it's also the first Greek letter of the word Christ. And uh, it's also believed that St. Andrew, one of the disciples, Andrew, was crucified on a cross that was this shape. And so if you are some traditions that really look to Andrew a lot, uh, you'll see an X as a little bit of a different kind of cross. This is a fleur-de-lis right here. Uh, you can see the kind of flowery uh, arrangement. That means um, lily flower. And uh, different crosses were sort of embellished over time. And if you have a cross in your house, it, it may have some of these designs. So if it's a little bit pointy like this, it normally has three sets of three to represent the Trinity. Sometimes they're more rounded, in which case it's called a budded cross. And uh, it's especially emphasized in Irish uh, Christianity to have sort of a budded cross for the three-leaf clover. Uh, this is an Eastern Orthodox cross in the very middle here. Um, you'll see some of the, like, why are there three different posts? Well, there's longer ones, which would have been where Jesus' arms were. The top one is to represent the sign that would say, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And then they also add a footrest. But interestingly, why is it angled? And one of the references to that traditionally has been that it represents the, uh, the two people that were on the cross next to Jesus and the one who went to heaven because he confessed Jesus as Lord from the cross and the one who went down, uh, hence the angle there, the one who went down because he did not. And that's an Eastern Orthodox cross, uh, which you don't see as much, obviously, in our traditions. The Celtic cross not a Celtic cross, it's a Celtic cross, you can see up here, has the halo effect, um, and it also normally has a sort of a weaving pattern to it, um, and that was very much to represent the sort of unending nature of our faith, and so it weaves in upon itself. You can see Celtic crosses, this one has it sort of divided, so it's different, but some Celtic crosses were made where it's just one continuous line that weaves through itself, um, and was sometimes even made out of rope. See the anchor here. Um, that was another one that Jaden said. That is not a cross. That's an anchor. But some of the early Christians would get in trouble if they were Christians. And so one of the things they used to do is draw an anchor or use an anchor in their artwork. And anyone who was a Christian would know that that anchor was to represent the cross. And you can sort of see the cross in it. Um, but also we have a tradition of talking about the anchor, Right? Um, that's a biblical image as well. And so the early Christians would use that, but sometimes you see that happen. Uh, on the upper right-hand corner, that's a Coptic cross. And it was an Egyptian symbol that had nothing to do with Christianity. It was a symbol of life that the, Egyptians, uh, the Egyptian Christians, the Coptic Christians, looked at that and said, that looks like a cross, or almost like a cross with a head sort of bowed the way it was round. And so they reclaimed it. And so in Coptic churches, you often see that symbol. Now there's an upside down cross here, which many people think to be an anti-Christian symbol, and it certainly can be. But there's more to it than that. The uh, Apostle Peter 
was traditionally held to have been crucified upside down. Because he said Jesus was uh, um, crucified the right way. He didn't deserve to, to be crucified that way. And so when he went to the cross, he asked and was permitted to be crucified upside down. And so in some churches, particularly churches named after Peter and in some traditions, you will see an upside down cross. This crazy looking symbol in the corner is a Jerusalem cross. And uh, it was a sort of a symbol that was made during the Crusades. It was a coat of arms for one of the, uh, the first Latin king in Jerusalem. You can see how over time this symbol has morphed. And it can change. It can be added with different things. And in the windows here are crosses with a crown of thorns around them. You can see different crosses embellished. I have a cross here on my neck that has a dove on it to represent the Holy Spirit. Um, the crosses can be mixed with a shepherd's crook. So you can imagine this Coptic cross in the corner. Um, they've made that to where it looks like a shepherd's crook as well. You sometimes will see three crosses instead of just one, as you see in the banner over there. So many different varieties of this symbol. And there are many more. I'm just highlighting a few kind of interesting ones. You can see the power of this symbol over time as it spoke to many people. In fact, there's a whole tradition that we in our church don't do very much of crossing ourselves, of making the form of the cross over us. Uh, if you've ever been to Catholic church or if you were raised Catholic, you probably did this a lot. Uh, and normally when you cross yourself, you would say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, and what you're doing there is you're covering yourself. You're claiming the cross as your own. In the Orthodox Church, they go right shoulder to left shoulder. In the Catholic Church, they tend to go left shoulder to right shoulder. So it depends a little bit on where you are. Typically, it's with your right hand. Your hand position can be different. So let's try, let's try it. So take your right hand. And if you keep your hands, your fingers together like this, in, in a normal Catholic Church, you would just use your hand like this. And uh, the five fingers would be represent the five wounds of Christ on, your, on the hands, on the feet, and the spear in the side. And so you had the five, and you would say in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Or, yeah, I'm, I would do the, cat, the Orthodox way, but same difference. Okay? Uh, in some traditions, in the Orthodox Church, they often didn't do it with five. They would do it like this. So, so pinch your middle and your index and your thumb together. And this was to represent two things. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the other two fingers were to represent the dual nature of Jesus. That means he was fully God and fully human. And so they would do it with this symbol. And then sometimes they would just cross their head or over their lips, different parts of the service. Other times they would do it uh, the way we did it earlier. Um, sometimes in blessings of other people, priests and other people would do the opposite. So put your hands up like this. This is not just a peace sign. Some of you remember a symbol kind of similar to this. Okay, uh, but you would have, again, just the opposite. The two natures of Jesus over the Trinity. So I've even occasionally done that in my blessing uh, at the end of the service. You know, bless you as you leave and make a cross. I often do that at funerals um, when I am uh, uh, at the end of the funeral. Um, we, I think we might have lost something as a church as we've moved away from this. But by the way, we still do it a little bit. I do it at baptisms. If you see a baptism, I will with the water make a cross on the forehead. 
Okay, and the process is the same. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, it's also part of Ash Wednesday, right? If you were here for Ash Wednesday, we did the same thing with ashes on your forehead. So there's still a little bit of a holdover of that. But it, that's a powerful symbol because what you're saying is, I am defined by the cross. I am a person of the cross. It covers my sin and it is part of who I am. Of course, there's a part of the symbol of the cross that I think we overlook too quickly. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That part of being a person of the cross and part of seeing these crosses everywhere is meant to remind us of the thing we don't really like to hear. Which means that it costs something to follow Christ. You may suffer. Scratch that. If you're going to follow Jesus, you will suffer. You will make sacrifices. God will call you to do things that don't make sense. And the call for us as Christians is not just to sing about crosses and to be happy to have crosses like they bring good luck or something. But to be defined by the action of Jesus on the cross and to be willing to daily take up our own cross. It is my prayer that you would stop from now on when you see a cross. And not just walk past it, not just assume it as a symbol you've seen, but think about the amazing story of the cross. Not just Jesus' story of going to the cross, but how this terrible symbol of torture became a symbol of hope. And maybe, just maybe, as you see those crosses, they can help you in that same journey. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for your cross, for your saving work. Thank you that we are people defined by that cross and help us as we go from this place to really, truly take up our crosses, die to ourselves, die to the world, and follow you whatever it may cost. Amen.